1: Wait on me now, Frank. Help's <laughs> on the way. Yeah. You should go. I'm past saving. At least I have company, right? <laughs>
0: Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. I am super excited to be here at Josie's tonight. Uh, I don't know what she's serving because apparently Ruby took a break and Josie is behind the bar and this swill is awful, uh, but we're going to drink it anyway because we're here to talk about Daredevil. Uh, and before we do that, uh, I just want to remind everybody that, of course, uh, the... 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network. You can find that on iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We're a feature provider there uh, for all your geek content, Star Trek and beyond. So go to iTunes.com slash Trek FM. You can rate and review the shows as well. So I hope you'll do that while you're there, especially the 602 Club feeds, the main feed, and of course the Star Wars feed. You can also find us on Twitter at Trek FM and Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. You can... Find us on the Babel Conference, which is the listeners only discussion group. It's a great place to join all the fans of Trek FM in a secret. Well, it's not so secret because you're hearing about it now. But we want you to come and join us and talk to us about all the things we're talking about here on our shows and all over the network. You can also find, of course, uh, us if you'd like to just email us. I love getting emails. Go to trek.fm slash contact. Choose a show. Choose the 602 Club. and It'll come straight to me and, and any of the hosts that are on. I'll make sure that they get it forwarded to them so we can answer your questions about or maybe there's something we haven't talked about and you'd really like to hear about. Just let me know. And another good way to do that, if you want to comment on anything, send us a voicemail. Go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and I'd love to have some voicemails about what you think about Daredevil Season 2. And, uh, you know, if, if I get those, you'll hear them on the show. So uh, that's my promise to you. Well, I've got some amazing guys here to talk Daredevil Season 2, and I'm uh, really glad to have back. It's been a while. Will, how are you doing, man? I'm good. Glad to be back on the 602. Yes, it's great to have you back. Uh, I hope uh, what you're getting served tonight isn't too low-key. I mean, it's, it's not our usual stuff. I apologize.
2: It's okay, but uh, I can always drink my uh, whiskey neat in any venue, so I'm pretty pleased.
0: Okay, good. Well, Daniel, uh, it's great to have you back. Of course, we talked Daredevil season one, so good to have you. Have the continuity.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm the I'm the reoccurring sidekick character, I guess for for Daredevil. Here, I'm I'm the Foggy of the six hundred two Daredevil.
0: Wow. That's, you know, what's what's great too about being the Foggy is uh, arguably Foggy is maybe one of the most heroic characters in season two. So he certainly gets a lot you know, of
1: uh, to do for sure. That's for sure. Yeah,
0: he really does, which is great. Uh, great segue. This is why I have you on the show. I, I do what Way I to can. you go, Daniel. Yeah, I like how the, you say on here it says you're Darren Moser. Yeah, I, I'm um, still logged in. That's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I love that. So I'm getting thrown off. I keep wanting to call your Darren, but it's actually Daniel. Guys, I I promise it's not it's it's not an invasion of the pod people or body snatchers or anything like that. This actually is Daniel. Well, we
1: talking. were just we were me and Darren were saucer separated for a bit and then you know, we when we went to recombined sections we did I forgot to change the name basically is what it boils down
0: to Oh okay okay I well I, I don't want to hear about your mother yeah, okay. so anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> well you know one of the big things about this season uh, there's so much to talk about so I was trying to figure out uh, where do we start and so I was thinking you know okay so we talked about two guys a girl and a CD bar last time well the two guys and a girl are back and I I thought that would be kind of a great Place to be able to start because they're the real connection obviously the the show is about Matt Foggy and Karen and how their lives are really going in some interesting areas and so uh, I wanted to know what you guys thought about uh, we'll, we'll start with Matt we'll start with Daredevil you know the main guy in the show what did you end up thinking about his arc this season because this guy I I don't know if there's an episode that goes by where he doesn't get his ass kicked at least twice.
2: I think it's interesting. I mean, you have... it's For me, I really love the dual nature of of Nelson and Murdoch. I love the fact that it's grounded in that law firm. It's grounded in the relationship between Foggy and Karen. And the fact that he is really embracing his daredevil persona. Um, He has the suit, obviously, now he is... Kind of, you know, the first scene we see is kind of really perfecting the the art of crime fighting. People kind of know his reputation, kind of know how he operates. And then, you know, starting with season two, you you see the deconstruction of of Daredevil, right? You kind of see him being broken down, much like how he was, you know, built up in season one. We kind of see the deconstruction of him in this season. How his past comes up to to haunt him again with Elektra, and I think. There are some interesting moments here, I think, towards the back half of the season. I think we'll we'll talk about it later. Um, there are some more interesting elements, I I would say, kind of convoluted um, that kind of make it problematic. Um, but we'll talk about that as it goes on. But I think for the most part, we get a deconstruction of the character in season two. And you're kind of seeing him not being able to walk the fine line of both being upstanding attorney and also crime fighting vigilante right you can see him in this season not being able to do both effectively so something has to give so that is very interesting cuz i think that's a very real world ramification you can't have it both ways when you're trying to do what matt's trying to do right
1: you know I, we see this a lot especially in the second iterations of of superhero for you know like like you mentioned Will, they get they build up the first the first time we see these characters and then the second time we sweep the rug out from under them and you know, something like Spider-Man two or all of these different kinds of times where we're like, okay, they can't have it all. You just can't, you just, you have to somehow show what they're sacrificing or the, the, the cost, as you say that it is. And man, I just, especially towards again, towards the middle and the end, it doesn't even feel like he couldn't walk that fine line. It felt like he couldn't walk that fine line because of Elektra, which kind of fell flat for me a lot of times. And what he was willing to give up for her and, and their entire storyline, which I'm sure we'll get into. I don't know. It was frustrating because he wasn't acting heroic, like what we were talking about a lot of the times. And he was uh, it, when we're specifically talking about these three characters. He was just he was kind of a dick. For ninety percent of the ninety percent of the se- the season, <laughs> I'm so glad you said it. <laughs> and it was difficult. It was difficult. It was frustrating to watch and difficult to root for him uh, when he's just clearly making these ridiculous mistakes for no- nothing other than for whatever reason, I guess I should say.
0: Uh, well, I- I'm glad you pointed that out, Daniel, because I said that to my wife those exact words. Matt's just kind of a this season, like he just he's. I I don't like this character this season at all. Um he reminds me of Tony Stark in Iron Man 2 where he just goes off the deep end and you don't like the character for about a good third of that movie at all. Like he's just somebody you don't want to be around. Um he at least has the the uh the excuse that he's dying. You know, people kind of become jerks when they're they're dying sometimes. Uh Matt doesn't have that excuse. Uh, and I don't know if Electra coming back into your life is a good enough excuse to treat people like dirt uh, and it, the people that you're supposed to care about and love and are supposed to be, you know, your besties. And maybe that's my 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 hope is that that's part of the growth of Daredevil, because, you know, as we're moving into this idea of, you know, we're going to get to Defender show. What I'm hoping is that this season was, was Matt's crucible of, I can't do this alone. I need help. Because clearly, Matt trying to handle all this by himself, uh, you know, is not working. In fact, I kind of want to almost call a verse sexism in this show. Like, uh, Jessica Jones got help from, from Luke Cage in her season, but Daredevil's still doing all this stuff by himself. And I thought that was weird since those guys are still running around in Hell's Kitchen but he never runs into them. Like it's a little weird. Uh that uh they're there in his city uh and people from her show are showing up but not her. You know it was just so weird. Like he could have really used some superpower to help in this season that wasn't crazy Electra. Uh you know so I, it was it was it was really interesting because they made this character I think really really unlikable, and I'm thinking that they had a good reason for it. I think thematically the reason to do that is to put him through the paces. You know, like being a hero is tough work. You got to figure it out, and may, maybe being the biggest hero is admitting that you can't do it all on your own, uh, and. Spoiler, obviously, we're gonna spoil the show rotten. So if you haven't seen all of the episodes, uh, please don't listen. If if you don't care, then go ahead. Um But don't say I didn't warn you. I, I think maybe that's what we're supposed to get at the very end of this show. At the very end of this season. When he walks into the office, the closed Nelson and Murdoch office, Karen's there, he's asked her to come, and he shows her the daredevil helmet. And the light bulb goes on in her brain. Oh duh, she's supposed to be this great you know, uh, budding reporter, and she still can't figure out he's Daredevil. Come on. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I think maybe that's where it's supposed to go. I don't know if it's super effective. I mean, Will, what do you think what, about Matt's character in that way? Do you feel like it was effective enough if that's where they're trying to go? Do you feel like they gave you enough to be able to feel like it, that maybe by the end he's hopefully starting to read it himself? What do you think? I
2: think it was effective in the sense that we've already established that he really has these types of issues that he deals with. I mean, he was a dick in season one with the way he was dealing with Foggy, right? And and it's continued on in season two with him still essentially saying, you need to keep this secret and you still need to allow me to do all these things while covering for me uh, increasingly in, in, in increasingly untenable positions like at the trial doing all this other stuff. I think it, it there is for me. There's a through line to say, you know, this is just an escalation of him not being able to deal with that, and then adding in Elektra as kind of like that third rail is kind of like that that wild card element really throws him off. That as we see, I think at the end, I think that's what they're clearly alluding to. I think it's it's they're they're not being particularly subtle about it. They're saying, hey, he's going to reveal himself. He's going to open him up. You're having more reveals at the end with with Hogarth and. With um, Reyes, you're you're they're deliberately laying down these markers to say, hey, they're going to need, you know, this universe is going to get bigger. They're going to start talking to each other. They're going to start, you know, teaming up to become the defenders. I think there's enough there. I think what Claire was saying on on the roof of the hospital or or the facility that they're in was so true because she was really the audience stand-in. She was saying, essentially, you know, Matt, you're full of shit. She was calling matt out on his shit, saying, you know. You can't do this act anymore, right? You can't just pretend that you're just this lone lone Avenger, pun intended, right? And then at the same time, try to distance yourself from everyone else. Your friend is down downstairs, wounded, right? And you can't even go see him, like right? you know. Basically, you know, I love Claire, especially in season two and the role that she got from it. Um, and I loved. I, I hope to see more Rosario Dawson. We saw her. In Jessica Jones, but I mean you just want to see more of it because she is the audience standing saying, you know, you're full of shit and you're gonna have to be able to let people in to do this. Um but just it, but in terms of kind of where Electra comes in, I mean I have my issues about this season with the, you know, the Orientalism that comes on, right? With Nobu coming back, being very much a cardboard villain, um, just the just the terrible Orientalist tropes that are in this season that, you know. It's just in 2016 seems very dated. A lot of superhero shows do that, from Batman Begins to Arrow, to Wolverine, you know, to Iron Fist down the road, and Doctor Strange. You just have this again trope of you know this white man comes, learns the ancient mystical Oriental arts, and he has to deal with this mysterious Oriental organization. They're all ninjas. We don't really know what their motivations are, and they're gonna have to hash it out. And he's gonna have to like save the day. And again, for me. That's the weak part of this back half of the season was not only was it too much, it was relying on, quite frankly, a racist and offensive Orientalist trope, which is everywhere in comic books. And it doesn't seem like it's going to get any better anytime soon. So for me,
0: that's where, you know,
2: season two falls short.
0: Well, I mean, on that, I don't know what you do. It's I mean, that's part of the story of Daredevil. It's kind of like uh, with Batman and the League of Assassins. Uh or on, on on Arrow, even though in Arrow, I thought it was really interesting. They actually took the League of Assassins, and and, and I thought I thought a more realistic sense is that all the names for the League of Assassins that they have are actually more Middle Eastern. Uh, so they actually place Nanda Parbat in a more Middle Eastern setting, and kind of created a. League of Assassins that was more in in that kind of mold. So I thought that was actually a really interesting take. Um, And I think part of it, though, Will, is that in the end, um, you know, something like China or uh, a, a lot of those Oriental cultures are so rich and so deep and they have so much more mysticism in them than anything else that we have because they're so much older than we are. That's where you pull a lot of that mythological elements from. You know, um, and, you know, comic books do that, too, with, you know, Greek culture and uh, Greek mythology or Norse mythology. You're pulling off all of these mythologies uh, from all of the world. So I don't really see it necessarily as being racism. It's more like these cultures have so much more to offer mystically, spiritually, all of that stuff than anything that's been created by the West in, you know, the last two or three hundred years. Even the things we pull from the West— quote unquote are things from you know thousands of years ago uh well not thou- you know a thousand years ago whether it's you know Greek or Roman or you know any of those kind of mythologies so it's it's, it's it's more i I see it as that kind of thing than than trying to be necessarily um racist and then just putting characters to which we know um in there, what I liked in this season is actually that Electra wasn't white. You know, she wasn't Jennifer Garner. Uh, she actually is uh, French Cambodian, so she she's she's not the white girl going in. She's actually somebody who kind of fits more within that mold. So that was I, I felt like they're trying to walk that balance, and I don't know if they do it completely well, but I think they did it better than it has been done before than it just being Jennifer Garner, the white girl, uh, in in that setting. My my,
2: my rebuttal to that would be is that we never see Asians as the heroes, or we never see them as three-dimensional characters. Of course, obviously, Asians invented martial arts. A lot of the martial arts that we see has Asian origins. I'm not saying that those don't exist, but the fact that it's such an overutilized trope of specifically, almost overwhelmingly, a straight white male protagonist will go, to the far east asia the orient to learn something to become better at being quote asian than actual Asians themselves they are the they are always the center and the focus of all these stories right obviously we we're pulling from stories that were written 30 40 50 60 years ago obviously it's a different time but that's exactly the point is that these stories have to be updated they have to be modified right so whatever comic continuity that you're part of needs to be part of an evolving Sense of perspective involving sense of time as well. So what you have here is, yeah, of course, you know, we're, they're borrowing from Asian culture. They're borrowing, you could say, they borrow from Greek culture. You can borrow from Norse culture. But Thor actually is the protagonist in Thor, right? But you don't see an Asian superhero being a protagonist in Daredevil, right? It's Matt Murdock, an Irish guy, learning from Stick, taking the the accoutrement of of Asian culture and mastering it just like Batman does, Wolverine does. It's a very common trope that's been used in comic books and that's was okay 30, 40, 50 years ago. Well, and now, I think that the answer to so that much. though
0: isn't isn't necessarily changing Matt Murdock to be Asian because I think that's just kind of racist too. Um, you know, to to create uh, I think what we're asking for is just create good Asian characters for us to love. You know, and so um do that and i'll i'll support it i don't i don't i don't care uh just as long as the storyline is good you know and and so you know i again i think that here they try to do some things in the storyline and they 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 actually change the electric character from what she is in the comics to make it fit better and it's it's not perfect but um i don't I I see what you're saying, but I don't think again that you can just you can't just willy nilly go in and be like we're gonna change the you know the character of Matt Murdock because him being white and a Catholic boy is a huge part of the story and that actually gets sidelined in here whereas in the comics that's always a main focus uh, of Matt's Catholicism and his his guilt over the life that he leads. That actually kind of gets sidelined here, and I was kind of frustrated about that. And, you know, too, I'll just say this. Uh, <laughs> they were very tropey in all of the gangs that they portrayed in the show. Uh, the Irish gang is ridiculously tropey Irish with its corned beef and cabbage on the table and all the whiskey and beer that you know, they have. Um the biker gang is, is just seems just as redneck and bikery gang is anything you'd ever see. So I, I don't think it's just the Asian aspect. I think it's all throughout, you know, and
2: I would I would counter by saying the Irish still have the fact that Matt Murdoch is the protagonist here. Right. And he's relying heavily on his Irish. Right. Catholic but I'm just saying,
0: well, this is not a show about this is this is not a show about an Asian. Well oh, I know. I'm Matt not Murdock. saying Matt
2: Murdock is supposed to be an Asian character. Right. I'm saying but that Nobu what I'm saying to should you, have been a more hold well-developed on, character. Hold
0: on. What I'm saying to you is that if if we want that character to exist, we need to then go create him, not ask Daredevil to bend to that. You see what I'm saying? Like we, that's, there that, are
2: that's, o- there obviously are other characters outside of Marvel, DC, independent, right? Writers and comic right. book companies that well, and create let me put characters it outside of that. So I'm not DC saying that Daredevil has, just has to. DC has created
0: a brand new character they're going to be having in their rebirth and it's right. going to be uh, a character who is Chinese and is in, view, in vibe with the powers of Superman. So written by uh, an Asian. And so I think what you are asking for is starting to be listened to and heard by the comic book creative community. And so, you know, I, I it's it's a slow process. I mean, obviously, we were talking before we started. The first major motion picture in any of the connected universes we're about to get, DC or Marvel, uh, the first one for a female is going to be Wonder Woman next year. You know, so it, it's been a long, hard road. And I want that road to continue to go forward. You know. Um, I think it needs to go forward. Uh we should've I I feel like we should have had a uh you know, a Black Widow movie by this point, you know. Um I don't think it should take this long to have, you know, the Black Panther movie uh or the cyborg movie or anything of these things, you know? So um I, I think we're we're on the right track. Um but to necessarily ask this story, Daredevil to, like, need to change, uh, I, don't, I don't know if, if we're asking for the right thing at that point.
2: I think it's fair to say that there are elements that you could change while still keeping the core elements of Matt Murdock and Daredevil true. I think that's, that's a very easy thing to do. I think they could say the same thing about making Nick Fury black or when they race-bended Maria Hill or when they changed Mandra. Right, but, 9. I mean, Man
0: they 3. did race-bend Elektra. They didn't, and that's 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 a plus, that's a
2: benefit. But at the same time, it's still part of an overall backstory line that I think is very tropish and offensive. Right, but you can't.
0: I mean, if you change that backstory and the hand and all of that, it would be like changing the League of Assassins and Batman, and that doesn't really work. It's it's not the same story anymore. So, and and again, like using the. Mysticism of a specific culture, I don't think is bad to tell a cool story. I think
2: it's it's bad when there's no other types of stories being told. And obviously we're on a slide. Right, but if there's no other stories
0: being here. told, then those stories need to be told in that medium. But that doesn't mean you need to change the story here. You see what I'm saying? We're saying the same I think, thing, I think. I think
2: making Nobu more three-dimensional. I think making the The Japanese cartel more three dimensional. Maybe Madame Gao had the the least bit of characterization, but she had some. But everyone else, especially towards this back half of the season, didn't really have much characterization. We talked about earlier uh, on the show is that that's not just restricted to uh, the hand. It's it's tied into. It wasn't very clear who the blacksmith was. It wasn't very clear what the motivations were. It was very clouded and very muddied and. And in in, in and in essence, they relied on the, the mysterious entity that relied on heavily Orientalist tropes that, while yes, it's true that that was the source material, that doesn't mean that we can say the source material was problematic and it's right. And that doesn't mean that going forward now and reassessing this, we can't say oh, they did this well and that this, they did this really well too, but these are the areas in which it's still lacking and could use improvement. That doesn't mean that, The entire story itself is bad per se, but we can just say that it was based, you know, the original storyline was based on things that were problematic now in 2016 and that in order to make it better, there are tweaks that we can make it in terms of making Nobu more three dimensional. We can make it in terms of having more diverse superheroes. That's not the only story being told that Asians aren't the only ones just being basically there for white people to beat on. Basically, no, but you know, I mean,
0: okay, nobody was complaining that you know, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's character is this mobster white guy, you know, in the first season. But white guys have a zillion other roles to play in, that's but I'm no, no, I'm just saying nobody's complaining about his backstory or the fact that he's very cliched mobster New Yorker guy. There, I mean, it's all a cliche, so. Yeah, but not all cliches are not created my, equal, though. But my point is, is that, two, I agree with your point. Um, I think Marvel, in a lot of ways, lacks good villains. Lots of times, and uh, here I don't believe that they did flesh out the villains or their motivations or any of that. And that's one of the things I will ding this season for big time. I don't understand this war. I don't understand the hand. I don't understand. I mean, Daniel, did you get any of that? Did, was that something you, as you're watching the season, like you had any inclination of exactly what's going on and why I, I mean, all I know is that they're bad and they need to be stopped, but that's where it pretty much stops.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, this is kind of, kind of, uh, I think too, what you guys were just discussing. It's this fact that the hand is just this nebulous group of, of, of Asian people are like all the bad guys and none of them mean anything. And it doesn't really matter what they're doing. They're just out there being bad people. And I never, no, I never, I didn't even understand, uh, like when stick is telling him the story about how this war started or whatever, or how he got involved when he became, I don't know, whatever. Like I just, it never made sense that this was the thing that was really happening. And then all of a sudden they were draining a bunch of blood from people. If I don't. I never, never knew what was happening. Never. I had no idea, and I, I still don't. Even at the end of the season, why they're they're just bad guys, and I don't know what's going on. I have no idea.
0: Well, and that's the difference between like uh, the best Marvel villain. I think has been Loki, and we understand his motivations in Thor, even though I don't really like Thor. The movie, and obviously in Avengers, we we really understand the character's motivations, why he's doing what he's doing. I uh, I I think that it's very true. A hero is only is as good as their villain, and I just don't think that this these villains turned out to be great for Matt because it was too nebulous. There just wasn't enough going on, and uh, we'll talk about it. But I anyway. did, can
1: I just say two quick things, real quick? Yeah. And I, I didn't want to derail the conversation, but we're talking about the hand specifically. Two things, real quick. Uh, the first thing, which I I kind of knew beforehand, but I looked it up and read about it. Every single time the hand is mentioned, all I can think of is the Foot Clan from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which the yeah, fun. which is apparently actually an homage to the hand, which I didn't know. And also, one of the things that the uh, that the hand suffer from is the inverse ninja law. Uh, Which is, of course, the more ninjas you have, the less dangerous they are. But then, if
2: that's like every rule in every movie, the more (laughs) Stormtroopers you have, the more the more Hydra you have, they're not going to be very
1: good. But as soon as one shows up, you're like, "Whoa, okay, now we've got to look out." Anyway, sorry, I just I had to say those two points.
0: No, that's it's it's so true, and it's it's a it's definitely overall comic book trope that does get bad. Like, oh, there's a thousand guys, we got this. There's two of them, dang it you know like uh I, let's get to i want to talk about foggy cuz i feel like he has a really interesting arc this season and uh, you know watching throughout the show i feel like he's one of the most fascinating characters obviously he's the one where the most humor comes from and i'll say this season is bleak and dark and i there isn't a, i'm going to use that that f word there's not a lot of fun here like happening because it, it especially by the end of the season, it just gets darker and darker and darker. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But, you know, I, when I hear that thrown around with, like, Batman v Superman, like, uh, I don't know. Anyway, it just bothers me because, you know, people will praise this and they'll hate that. And it's like, I but this is doing the same exact thing, really. And it might even be darker and grittier in a lot of ways. So... But his character, I thought, was really interesting. And I felt like, to me, he continued to really grow from season one to season two. He progresses throughout the season, and I I, I loved watching his character become more and more confident. To me, that was one of the greatest arcs of this this season, was watching him become somebody without being, you know, Matt's sidekick. Yeah, I
2: mean, I think that's why the first part of the season was so was so compelling was that the whole Punisher arc and how he played a role in the trial of Frank Castle and had really had a cover for Matt. And that was really the schism that kind of led to, to to where they're at the end of the season. You know, he really stepped up. He really became his own man because for all intents and purposes, season one, and even in season two, it's, you know, he's living in, in Matt's shadow in the sense that, you know, he's kind of defers to him to the point where Karen's like, why are you deferring to him? He is a you're a, you've been doing the all the legwork you've been doing a terrific job on this trial in this case why are you deferring to him for the final cross right and I think having the result you know having the kind of that fallout really shows him growing you know him also you know it's it, it's important for him to kind of I think let go of kind of his you know unrequited crush on on Karen kind of seeing him kind of move beyond that and kind of him develop his character in other ways outside of just him. And her and that relationship, him being secure in his career and kind of being more confident in that regard, I think it's important. And, you know, by the end, you know, he is good enough that Hogarth wants him and her super all-star law firm. And, you know, you can just see.
1: But do you want to be a part of that law firm? Yeah. I
2: don't know. Evil and evil, and I think. Is what we are. Basically, right. So I think, you know, I think that has spinoff material been all over, right? <laughs> you know, all the legal dramas that we talk, that we see with The Good Wife and. And, you know, all those other, you know, Laura shows like, you know, Hogarth and, um, Nelson TV shows just rife with just, you know, dark, like dark comedy is what I, what I, what it was what I would imagine that show would be. But I, I think, I think everyone's right here. I think Foggy has tremendous growth in this season and it shows.
1: He, he also has, uh, I think a vast majority of the hero moments where you're kind of like, yeah, man, like then you feel good about rooting for somebody, uh, like you mentioned, uh, When he steps up at the trial, when he when he stands up to uh, um, the district attorney, you know he always he kind and then you know when he's fighting Matt, you're you're when he's arguing with Matt, you're by default almost on Foggy's side, and you're like, yeah, like this is the guy I'm rooting for in this show. I don't, it's it's funny to me because I wasn't super impressed with him the first season, but I definitely liked him a lot more in this one.
0: I, to me like i i just found him like you said uh daniel i'm I'm really i really am for the most part on his side and i i feel like he is such a great friend to matt he doesn't give up his secret and he doesn't um you know treat him badly he just wants matt to start treating him with the same monochrome of respect you know and matt's not doing it and and as we said earlier matt's just kind of a jerk at the beginning of the season actually throughout the whole season he's just kind of a jerk he's not very likable and and foggy i love that this gives him the opportunity to step out of matt shadow step out of Daredevil's shadow and and really become his own man and become a man to be reckoned with you know uh find his confidence and in, in what he does you know the guy's a good lawyer and he really cares about people i think that's one of the things that i love about foggy and so and and that leads me. I think the most interesting person in this season, and I have to say, the biggest hero of the entire season is Karen.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I'm of I'm of two minds of, about Karen. I think there are moments when she's really great, and I think she's a she's terrific. I, I don't know the actress's real name, but she's a terrific actress. I think there are so many moments where there's she's obviously this audience stand-in. She's a she has great range in terms of having that developing relationship with Matt being really competent, being very capable, being the heart and soul of Nelson Murdoch. There are really moments where it's really great. I think there are other moments, especially in the first half of the season where, you know, she really falls into that damsel in distress trope again too, where she's just constantly, I guess, if not physically under siege, under emotional siege, right? She's always just under threat or she's always just, just always reacting to danger. And, I think at the end of the season, we start to see that being better in the sense that she gets that facto facto reporter job at the Daily News, kind of getting more respect for what she can can bring as as a person, as a character, as someone that was a kind of a paralegal, but now is a full boned, you know, a full a bore Ben Urich, right? The successor to Ben Urich, he she got his you know his office, right? But I think at the same time, you know, there are moments in which you don't see that fully developed because it's still relying on Karen to kind of be this emotional crutch where she's going to be in danger and how is she going to get out of danger? How is Matt going to save her? How is Daredevil going to save her and kind of play that role? Hopefully in season three, that develops more if she takes on a bigger role at the newspaper. And, you know, it would be nice actually if she was able to deduce Daredevil's identity actually and she just hadn't divulged it to, to him. But I think overall, two steps two steps forward, but like a step back still with her character.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I had some some of the same kind of problems as well. I do I do like Karen overall, I think. It, it just they do seem to kind of ping-pong her around uh quite a bit for whatever purpose that she needs to like now she needs to do this and break into Frank Castle's house. And now she needs to do this and be over here and do this. And it's just like okay, sometimes it works for me, sometimes it doesn't. But I I I do like her contribution to the show for sure.
0: I felt what I I liked about her and I felt like really worked about her is that she got her own agency. You know, she became her own character. She started pursuing the story beyond the law firm and beyond anything else. It was for herself and for what she was finding herself to be good at. And she was great at it. You know, I mean, she's kind of turned herself into like a little Lois Lane here on this show and she's just as smart and just as capable as Amy Adams Lois Lane and the new DC films which I love you know and obviously I think she could have figured out or maybe the you know the next season uh, season three it'll open up with her going I knew it or something like that you know so that'd be great and I also uh, I really like that she's the one who truly saw Frank for who he was almost more than Frank did, I think. And I think it's her belief in him that helped him from completely becoming the the villain. And that's what I liked as well. I, I felt like uh, she w- became almost like this kind of strange surrogate family for Frank Castle. And he had somebody who cared about him and believed in him. And it was her who kind of... Uh, there's no real redemption for Punisher, <laughs> You know, but uh, he, she keeps him from being a full-on, outright villain, and um, I just I I was really impressed by her acting ability, as well, and I just to me, she was the hero of the season. Uh, I I found myself caring more about her story and what was going on with her than pretty much anybody else. Uh and I love that. I love that I was surprised because I didn't care about the I didn't care about Matt this season. I didn't like Matt this season. Um and I didn't like the choices he was making and maybe that's we're supposed to. Uh Foggy was it was enjoyable to watch and I enjoyed watching what he was going through, but you know, Karen was the one who was actually giving us backstory on things because of what she was digging into and stuff, and without her there that that stuff just wouldn't really have happened as much. So uh, I I just I loved her character. Um, I thought I thought she was great, uh, and I I really hope that they do continue that in season three for sure. Because now that she does have that desk, she has that job. She's not tied to Nelson and Murdoch and these other two guys. She is completely her own woman. I think that's fantastic. I think it's just great for the character too, because it it makes her even more. Uh, confident woman, in and of herself, without you know needing anybody else in her life, um, as the kind of, what you were guys were calling crutch, and so, I'm glad, I'm I'm really glad that happened, uh, and I hope to continue to see more of that. So I think it's a real win for the season, and uh, the win when it came to female representation in the show, because god knows Electra wasn't that so uh
2: i'm gonna drop in and say claire i just loved claire the 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 parts Uh, that we saw her she needs her own show i would totally watch a rosario dawson helm show because she just for me she just owns the the screen whenever she's on the few minutes she's on screen she just owns it in terms of just being
0: this kind of we could call it hell's anatomy
2: hell's anatomy right (laughs) itself right (laughs) <laughs> um, and it would go well with uh, Hogarth and Nelson, the law firm show. The yeah, show. exactly.
0: <laughs> she picks up all the people who walk in and don't walk out. It's its own
2: <laughs> shared universe. Um, no, but she just she she just plays it so well, just kind of like she's not quite embittered yet, but she is so world-weary, and she's so she's informed by such life experience, but yet she doesn't just give in to dark cynicism, but you just can't walk all over her, and she's just a knee ER nurse. And she has to deal with this extraordinary, like essentially crap that comes to her office daily, right? With Jessica Jones and Daredevil, which is like, what the hell is going on? And I have to deal with this stuff, right? And yet still, she's not like a terrible, miserable person, right? That still wants to help people. I think, um, you know, Claire was just a fantastic character.
1: I I kind of like that. She's now becoming the uh, Phil Coulson of the, the Marvel TV universe, kind of, you know, oh,
2: that'd be so good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, it'll be interesting to see if and how they incorporate her into Luke Cage, because obviously he's probably not going to spend that much time at the hospital. But we'll have to see.
0: That's true. He just sends people to the hospital (laughs) (laughs) as they bounce off of him. I wanted to ask you guys about, you know, Punisher, you know, he's the quote unquote villain of this season at the beginning uh, is the first one we get. And uh, what did you end up thinking about the the way they handle him and uh, his progression throughout the season? So I'm going to say a very controversial opinion,
2: but I think the Daredevil Punisher dynamic is a better Batman v Superman. I watched both. I watched the movie and I watched the first season, the first half of the season. And I think the dynamic in terms of half measures, full measures, different types, a different philosophy, different approach to how you become a superhero. How do you restrain yourself. How do you hold back? Do you hold back? I think the debate was handled for me so well. I think the first half of this season was the best half for me. The Punisher dynamic worked really well for me. I think Um, this is the best Punisher we've ever seen on screen. And the dynamic, the conversation that he has with Matt on the rooftop, calling him red, that the conversation that they have with him being tied up is perfect. It's almost ripped from a comic book, this conversation that they're having about you're just a band-aid. I am the permanent solution to these problems. And in a way, for me it defined the type of debate that Batman versus Superman didn't accomplish for me, but it worked within this context with Daredevil and Punisher. And I think he was very effective. He's the ultimate, you know, anti-hero, right? He literally shoots people. And A lot. Makes no... A lot of Yeah, makes no apologies about it. He punishes them. Right, punishes them, makes no apologies for it. And having him play off against Daredevil, for me, that dynamic worked incredibly well. And I think post-Frank Castle, kind of like before he comes back at the very end, I think that that's where the season lulls. But everything leading up to kind of his capture and, and his trial for me worked really, really well because it is the natural response to someone like daredevil right it's a natural response to the chaos that someone like daredevil would wreak on hell's kitchen is that someone like punisher would come about and respond to that
1: uh yeah you know i'm i, I liked it I, I i liked the portrayal i liked the character i don't i, I don't want to say i like the character the character is a sociopath um <laughs> the man is he is a villain for all intents and purposes i mean he's a bad person Uh, I mean, it's a tragic character, obviously, because of what happens to him to get him there, but his actions, uh, whatever, that's not the point. But um, I also feel like I really like the beginning part, and I like the conversations that Daredevil and and Punisher have, and I think that's really good stuff. And then Punisher goes to jail, and then he gets out, and then all of a sudden he shows up in the last bit of the last episode, and I'm like, you... Which I think is a symptom of a larger problem that this this season isn't focused at all. So I I just didn't understand how all of a sudden he just is okay now he's going to be Punisher shows up from being in the woods randomly uh, and then now he's just going to show up and save the day by shooting one of the random ninjas on the I don't know anyways so I I, I thought that the resolution to his story didn't didn't work for me and it was disappointing because the setup was so great I thought.
0: For me, I I really liked the character and the, and what they were doing and the conversations they were having. Uh, Will I think um, what you see here is the big difference between having even two and a half hours in a film as opposed to having thirteen hours uh, on television or Netflix or whatever you're watching. Daredevil, uh, you know, you have a lot more time, so you can have a fifteen minute scene where they just sit there and talk, you know. Uh, because you can do that, because you've got a you know a lot of other time left. You've got twelve hours and forty five minutes left in your season, um, and they they have some great conversations, and it leads to some great thematic elements th- throughout the season of this question for Daredevil of what does it mean to be a hero? Why do we stay in a certain side of the line instead of go to the other side of the line where Punisher is? And, you know, I think it makes it for a great question just in the world that we live in, you know, when you see such horrible, awful, terrible things, especially like what what happened to him, and you find out that behind the scenes he had been betrayed by people that he knew that he had been in war with, he had saved their lives, and they are a part of the problem that ends up killing his family. Because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, uh, and a part of a corrupt system, you know, like that, that the, the district attorney had allowed this to happen. You know, I mean, no wonder the guy snaps and wants to take out all the people responsible. And, you know, somebody says, I think it's when they're doing the trial and somebody says about the Punisher, I love this guy. You know, he's done everything the cops and the DA's office can't do. He's taking care of these these major gangs he's just wiped them out all of them like the emperor uh you know and you know, and there's a part of us that 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 resonates with because we're like if we could it would be great if we could just take care of evil that way, you know, like the evil that is is in our world um so you know uh, in a world with child slavery and, uh, you know, uh, uh, slavery of women and uh, the most horrible, awful things we can think of, things that still even happen in our own country that are underneath the seams. And being wanting to get that taken care of, I can totally understand why the Punisher character resonates, and I think they do a pretty good job here. Um, Right there with both of you in that there's so much freaking going on in this season. There isn't a focus. And I, I feel like I feel like maybe we should talk about this now because we keep referencing it. So let's just talk about it now. The the the, the non focus, the jam-packed nature of this season means that no story gets enough time. Which is strange to say in a thirteen hour show. But I feel like this would have been better served if this season had all been just about the punisher and daredevil and then you could have had a lot of the stuff that still happens with foggy and karen all that stuff still exists but this other stuff that happens with electra and the hand i feel like should have been the next season it's just too much and then we 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 actually crowbar (laughs) in fisk back into this season too, which it's like again there were so many moving parts I literally had to go on the internet and read some of the synopsis for some of the episodes so that I could understand all the working machinations of the different plot points. So I could be, oh, that's who the blacksmith is. Oh, that's how they're connected. You know, like, And the fact that the Hand and Electra really aren't connected to the Punisher and everything that's going on there very well also doesn't help, I don't think. So... Altogether, I, I I'm with you guys completely. I just think this season has too much jam packed. I don't know. What would if you had to fix it, how would how would you fix it? Darren?
1: <laughs> ah, you're killing me. You're Daniel? killing me. Uh first of all, I would not take out the uh would not take out the Fisk episode. Probably some of my favorite bits in there. I really like that. And I like the through line of basically you you knocked him down in the first season, but you know. Kingpin is, is is going to be ultimately really the, the, the guy at the end, he you know, at the end of the line.
0: Right. Well, and that's, that, I mean, it wasn't a knock no, that right, they crowbar yeah. him in. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's another thing that got put in there. And I know exactly what they're doing. They're going to make him the actual Kingpin. Yeah. But it just was one more thing on top of... 30 other yeah, things. Yeah, you know,
1: I actually don't feel like there's too much here. I just feel like it wasn't handled right. Um I actually I do think that there was enough story for 13 episodes. They just didn't spend their time properly. I feel like maybe with some with some with some script tightening up and uh, and some fixes and and some maybe some rewrites of episodes, you could probably connect these things, but it just doesn't feel connected right. It doesn't feel like it's all a part of the same story to me. You have these distinctive pieces. You have this Punisher, and then you have this Electra, and, and then we and the hand stuff, and we and there's slight connections they try to put there, but again, like I said, they split the season up almost pretty evenly, and and I'm just like, and then at the end, you're like, well, okay, what was the point of telling those two stories simultaneously? Like they don't really seem to come together in any meaningful way. We probably, like you said, we could have done one or the other, or we could have had both just done better.
2: I think it speaks volumes that in that, in the couple of episodes, I think that Fisk is in, he all, he steals the show again, right? He steals the show again from what you would expect is the, you know, ever-present menace of the hand, what you know, what have you, right? The fact that I felt more threatened. By just having Wilson Fist sit across from Matt Murdock, right, the tension from that scene was brilliant, right? That that scene was like, "Wait until I get out, and I'm, and you're going to know the definition of what suffering is, right?" It it was so powerful, and you know, this was supposed to be just a brief detour, just to remind viewers that, oh, hey, we didn't forget about Wilson Fist. the Kingpin is still here, right? And yet in those in those scenes, he still stole the show, right? And you know, and for me, I was like, wow. I hope this just continues through the rest of the season, right? And then we had, of course, but we had to go back and kind of finish a storyline as presented. But I think that's, I think that's a difficulty them really trying to juggle all of these things. All of these balls are in the air. It may not necessarily be an issue of, of too many, but it really is an issue of being able to deftly connect them all together. It's possible. It's possible. They certainly had enough time in the thirteen-hour series, but there wasn't really enough in terms of motivations. And I think that goes back to my earlier earlier point about kind of you know ill-defined tropes being used and then you know at the end you just have a very quick wrap-up a wrap-up that just tries to set up for you know i think they're setting up for defenders they really want to get this locked down and introduce electra so she's there now right to be used um because we know she's coming back right we know that that's going to happen so i think it 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 really suffers in terms of the universe building is trying to do right and i think that's the interesting thing is the marvel netflix universe is is it's acknowledged in the sense that they acknowledge that captain america exists they acknowledge that the battle of new york happens which they reference all the time but within that show daredevil is also shielding you know having the burden of establishing the narrative for a netflix universe right jessica jones and, and iron fist the defenders all of this stuff too and i think this is where you're trying to you're starting to see where some of the issues came up with iron man 2 um with them building at that time a marvel cinematic universe here you're seeing you're seeing them build a marvel netflix tv universe we won't talk about agents of shield and kind of what they're doing on their own thing but it's it's definitely something that You really just see it not being the sum of its parts. It should be better than what it is, and yet, for me, it's still lacking.
0: Part of the thing that I guess that they're trying to go for is to have Matt Murdock completely... His time being split and being pulled in all these different directions. And so, if that's what they're going for, that's great. I don't know if it was as explicit in the season that you should have made it though. If that's really kind of what you're going for, so he's going to want to reach out for more help later on. I think you need to make that more explicit in the season. Uh it's it's there. It's it's just not as fleshed out as it needs to be. Other thing that I think and and what we were talking about Will and we were talking about earlier and I really think this would help because I feel like there's so much going on in the season. If you're going to do Electra in the hand I feel like they deserve their own season to make them, what we were talking about, defined. Give them more of a reason for being there. Let us know who those villains are. Like you were talking about with Fisk, the moment that they're across the table from each other, it's electric because (laughs) because you know the history that they have together. Whereas with everything else that's happening, there isn't history other than with Electra, and they're having to build that history in because we haven't seen it yet. So it's like if you had had a whole 13 episodes to introduce Electra and the Hand in their own season, I think you could have done it in a way that would have been much more meaningful, much more impactful, and could have um, maybe, like you were talking about, impacted the Nobu character and made him more of a character instead of a trope and just the bad guy. All of that stuff could have happened if this season had just been about the punisher and about uh matt and fisk and to have those three things revolve around each other with this season and have him being pulled in a few different directions without introducing a whole other storyline that should just have its own season so we can really give it its due and so i mean if if You're right, Daniel, and they can just rewrite some of the episodes to make them better and make that work. That's great. Um, I just feel, personally, my fix would be just move it to Daredevil, you know, season three, so that you leave that Fisk thing maybe hanging for a whole other season, so that really when he comes back, it's like there's nobody else in power, and he soaks up the power vacuum and, like, becomes the kingpin, you know, that we really know. And that makes him a power that, you know, maybe that's where you bring into the fender. I don't know. Just, that's just my thought. So we'll talk a little bit quickly because I want to talk about her just relationship with Matt. But Electra, did you guys buy their relationship?
2: Uh, I think by our long silence, it's it's a, <laughs> at, at best at best uh, <laughs>
1: dot dot dot. It's
2: at best ambivalent. It's a it's at best you know it's gonna it's gonna be have to be uh, clarified or with um with some commentary on. It. I think I think the issue. Uh, this the actress itself. elodie Young is a terrific actress, and I think the, the the parts where she's playing the part where she's acting as Matt's balance. So the the, the humor, there's a dark humor to elodie Young. There's dark humor to Electra in terms of of her kind of being kind of the free spirit, kind of the more devil may care attitude because she's rich, she's bored, she's incredibly deadly. She just the world is an oyster. She she and she knows it. She can kind of play around, right? And it loosens up Matt in a way that initially is beneficial for his character. Is a little more buttoned up, but then it becomes a point where he even realizes it's too dangerous because she's playing with fire, literally, right? You know, at, the, at that scene where she finds her dad's murderer. I mean, his dad's murderer, and and tells him basically, you know, kill him, and. I think there are moments in which it's played well, and I think that the humor there is played well. There's a there's a nice balance to to kind of what we saw relentlessly in the in the first half, which is a lot of people dying, and but at the same time, it it doesn't work because there's still not enough of the backstory there to really believe that that's going to affect Matt's character so dramatically as it didn't season one. Remember, I remember that throwaway line in that one episode where Matt's like, Electra's back to Foggy and Foggy's like, Oh, that rich, that rich student of ours. She was just some a brat at our college. It seemed so throwaway to me because I remember watching that scene. I'm like, yeah, how does, how do they meet in college? I feel like it's so detached from what I would assume how Foggy and Matt hung out in college. Right. So like, for him to meet her in college, and that for for, for Foggy to also be aware of who Electra is, it seemed so in like incongruent for me. It seemed like it, it didn't mesh as well as I thought, and that's why I think for the most part I don't really like where they went with Electra because I didn't really believe that they had that great of a bond to begin with. But there are parts where it's well acted that there were there is chemistry between the two characters. It's just that the way they portrayed it just wasn't. The best way,
1: yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, to answer your initial question, Matthew, I uh, no, I, I don't buy it. It's so yeah. Sometimes yeah, it's fine. I guess I f- I feel that it's there, but most of the most of the time, I'm just like, why why are you doing all these crazy things for this woman? And and I don't know. I, I mean, not that I have a huge knowledge of the backstory of Electra, but every incarnation I ever see her, I'm never interested or compelled or thinks that she's fascinating so to me she's kind of always just a character that they throw in because they feel they need to uh not to say that i mean they could have done her fantastically and perfectly and pulled her off and then i maybe would like it but to me it was just like another element of the story that doesn't get enough focus doesn't get enough attention and so you're kind of left with a half interesting something going on not enough to hold your attention, but just enough to kind of keep the story moving, I guess. So that's, that's that was my problem with it.
0: Well, I turned to my wife when they have that moment in the last episode before they, you know, do their last hurrah and go fight the bad guys. And they have that sweet little moment. And I turned to her and I was like, they did not earn this. I don't buy it at all. And the fact, and what I don't buy is that Matt, is so in love with Electra that he's willing to, like, follow her anywhere and be, like, you know, her lapdog, basically. Like, I'll follow you wherever you go kind of thing. It just, it was bad. It was just bad. And they hadn't written me to a point where I, I bought it. And part of it, like you said, is that it's... It's about the fact that there isn't enough focus. There's enough time to focus, and and the few episodes where we get some flashbacks to who they were. I think we get one episode about them and kind of their back history. Again, if you had had an entire season to tell this story, you know, maybe you even start off the season with the flashback for a couple episodes, maybe or something. So that the story is actually giving her character and Matt's character together some real weight. And so you've seen them together. And I just, I I don't feel that. And I want to feel that because I need to feel that because when we get to that scene, like I need to feel like that she quote unquote dies. Like, but I was kind of glad that she was dead. That's a sad thing to say, but I just don't, I didn't like her character and i i wasn't enjoying uh her relationship with matt at all and um i wasn't buying that he was willing to give it up all for her because he you know she's somehow the love of his life even though she's kind of awful and i just it for the character that they had set up for season 1 with who matt is and how moral he is and all of that for him to be able to kind of throw that away for her because of who she is it just didn't make sense like they have two completely different worldviews and matt and hers are never going to be the same you know and and matt's this is where i was frustrated where matt's uh religious beliefs don't come into play in this season because i feel like that would that should have been a bigger struggle for him with who we know him to be from season one so i just I didn't buy it. And I was frustrated because this was a big storyline for the daredevil character with Elektra, And I just feel like it needed more time to breathe so I could buy it. And I don't because there's just too much going on. I mean, we've got Matt, we've got foggy, we've got Karen, we've got the DA, we've got Punisher. We've got, you know, this blacksmith, we've got you know, all of this other stuff. And, and it's just, it's a lot.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think, the worldviews that they have is undercut by Punisher, right? So the beginning half of the season, we've had a really great debate between Punisher and Daredevil about what do means justify the ends, right? Or the ends justify the means. And Electra is a variation of that, right? She is like Punisher in the sense she kills, but she does it in a different way, obviously. And both pose interesting questions to Daredevil. It just happens that because in the first half of the season, it's posed so compellingly that when you kind of ask a very similar question, right, of Electra and that type of life, and is Matt tempted by that? When you ask a similar question, it really pales by comparison, right? It really pales because you're just like, um, why, why are you falling for this when, when, when you clearly rejected? Uh, a variation of that with, with Punisher and again yeah it really is a lot of
0: because he doesn't look hot in leather
2: I mean that's basically hot. that's what it is right I mean Matt was just thinking with his pants right you was just like oh I just this, I mean basically right exactly so it just doesn't work in that regard and I think that's it's it's a disservice it really is
0: alright well uh, this is the part of the show where everybody gives their ratings for what they thought of, of Daredevil season 2 and so Will what about you?
2: I'm going to give this two and a half out of five avocados. Um, it, it, I really wanted it to be better because I love daredevil season one in a lot of ways. I, it was, it was so good. I mean, it had issues too, but I think for the most part, daredevil season one really grabbed me from the get go. And the ending was just terrific. And season two was just like, wow, I just really, I'm really excited about this. And on top of that, it started off really well, right? So for me, it was like, wow, this is going to be a fantastic season. And then it ended um, on such, I think, for me, a very just middling level. And I hope they return to form. I think hopefully, if they bring in other characters, when they bring in other characters, it's in a way that still does Daredevil, the core story, service. I think hopefully it doesn't rely on, you know, overly, you know, racist, offensive tropes when they can avoid it. And I think it, they just. Do those things, I think it's gonna be better. And I think for me, overall, it, this season was disappointing. But you know, I still have hope that the overall trajectory of the show um, is good because what we've seen when for when the show is good, it is really, really good. But this second season just wasn't hitting where it usually does hit.
1: You know, I I would give it, man. If I had to rate the season, I, I would give it like one and a half missing size. Out of out of uh, out of five, I know that's a really backwards rating scale. I'm, I'm just maybe so three and a half. So that would be, I guess, three and a half size. But I don't know how you, where you would keep them all because that would be difficult. Anyways,
2: I was gonna say negative one point five is a really low score to <laughs> say.
1: Um, yeah, no, I mean it's good. It is good. There are really good bits in it, um, and I, like we have mentioned already, the beginning part of it is much better, I think, than the ending. But it doesn't it doesn't stack up, I don't think, to season one um but the show is still solid it's still worth a watch it's still in and and, it, and i'm excited for season 3 but it's just there were a couple of missteps and and i didn't really care about what all of this silliness that was going on and it just didn't grab me like the first season did and and i i think that's easily fixable for the next season but uh you know it's just i guess it's the uh, sophomore slump right maybe i don't know
0: Yeah, it could be. Uh, You know, um, when we talked about Jessica Jones, uh, that show was very good until about middle of the season where it really climaxed and then it fell off for me. And this season kind of does the same thing almost. You know, it's so good at the beginning with the Punisher and all, and then Elektra comes in and starts to ruin everything uh, for me. You know, she, she, that, and mainly it's not that she's bad. Or that the storyline's bad or any of those things. It's just that that adds a whole other, you know, like my plate's already full with Daredevil and Punisher. Um, adding her on top is like having a full plate at Thanksgiving and having somebody add the rest of the turkey to your plate. It's just like, it's, it's too much. And um I... I I guess I'd have to give this probably three out of five uh, Daredevil caps, you know, that he has, that he puts on. Um, it's it's not awful. It's just, and it's not bad or whatever. It's just not as great as it could have been. You know, Daredevil season one had a very great focus. Um, and I think that if I have anything to say to any comic book franchise ever, It's just find your focus. What's the focus of your season? You know, what are you trying to do? And make sure that you don't add too much to it so you lose that focus and it becomes hard to see that. You know, and I really felt like, you know, that thing where you can't see the forest for the trees? Like, I, I can't see what's going on in the season. I, I really feel like we need to just be focusing on maybe one or two trees this season, not the whole forest. And it's like, they threw in the whole forest and yeah. Um, I just, I, I'm frustrated about that because, uh, you know, daredevil season one for me was such, uh, I thought, uh, I don't know, just a really great way of telling a story. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing that, that hopefully they can rectify the situation. um, Yeah, we'll call it sophomore slump. So uh, I'm I'm glad, though, guys. I mean, we have amazing uh, associate producers here on the show, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson, who allow us to do this every week to get to talk all of this great geek stuff here on the 602 Club, all the fandoms we love that aren't Star Trek, and really appreciate them. You know, uh, Patreon is such an important thing for us here at Trek FM because without the listeners supporting us, There just isn't a way that we can make this network happen. Uh, And so go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and you can see how you can support the network and keep all of these great shows coming to you each and every week. Uh, We've got so many great things happening. We've got some great perks for you too. And we would just love to be able to continue to do this and bring you the best quality content we can. And we definitely need your help for that. So just go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and you can see how you can be part of the team. Now, uh guys, uh, thank you so much for joining me and being on the show. Um obviously, uh, kind of like us and Patreon, I can't do this show alone because nobody wants to just sit and listen to me blab by myself. I need amazing guests to come on each week and and you guys make the show every time. So, we'll let everybody know where they can find you online uh before we let you go. Sure, you can find me
2: on Twitter at boomer niner. And you can find me in the Babel Conference, which is our dedicated Facebook listeners group
0: at Trek FM. And Darren, I mean Daniel, uh, I did that on purpose. Uh, where can we find you? Well, they
1: can. Uh, the listeners can find me every week with Darren as well as Philip uh, on Earl Gray Trek FM's dedicated.
0: Wait, how do we know y'all we aren't the same people? I don't know. Will, I'm starting yeah, to wonder. It's
1: possible. Have we you got
0: switched in that transporter accident?
1: Yeah. Have you ever seen me and Darren in the oh, same? Oh, that's room? what it is. Yeah. Just saying. That's true. Uh, no, but we. Y'all are like the Rikers. Exactly. exactly. One of us has uh, a beard. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, you, you can listen to us on Earl Grey, at Track FM's dedicated TNG show every week. Uh, where We have a lot of fun. And you can find me personally on Twitter at oneupdan. That's the number one, not the word.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on The Orb, our DS9 dedicated show here on the network with Chris Jones. Uh, I'm also doing literary tricks with Dan, talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We're interviewing the authors, so make sure you check that. That's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm also on a show with my friend John Mills called Aggressive Negotiations about Star Wars. You can find that at thenerdparty.com or, of course, on iTunes at Aggressive Negotiations. And you know what? a thing that we've been talking about a little bit here on the 602 club recently. Cause it's a lot of fun. Go to letterbox.com. Join, find me on there. I'm M rushing zero two. And it's so much fun. It's a great way to keep track of all the movies you watch and you can make friends there. Uh, and people like me, John Mills, Mike Schindler here on the network and a bunch of other people are on there. And, It's a great way to be able to share the movies that you're watching, what you're thinking about them, and it's, yeah, join. It's going to be fun. Uh, And of course, you can find me on my own personal blog at 42LifeInBetween.WordPress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear?